Well, one of my neighbours uh, was pounding on my door the other morning, 2am, 2am in the morning. Luckily, I was up practising my trumpet. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, that was a joke. Uh, I'm Presbyterian, it was actually bagpipes. Um, but you get the point, don't you? Trumpets are noisy, they are hard to ignore. If you've ever been to the cricket, you'll know that just one trumpet uh, can be heard around the whole ground. And in our passage today, we have seven trumpets blown by seven angels. And we see that in chapter 8, 1 and 2, that, um, that uh, there's silence in heaven at the opening of the, at the end of the, um, the seven seals. There is silence in heaven. Do you see that in verse, verse 1? Half an hour of silence. Uh, and like a thoughtful uncle giving out niece, his nieces and nephews noisy toys at Christmas, uh, the angels are handed trumpets. And like those kids, the trumpets, uh, the angels are going to make some noise. Uh, trumpets are used for a variety of reasons throughout the Bible. A call to worship or a call to war and other things in between. So my question today is why is God waking up the neighbourhood with trumpets? In our passage today, why is God using trumpets, seven trumpets, to wake up the neighbourhood? What does he want us to know? Uh, well, I think there are two reasons. Well, I'm going to draw out two reasons from our passage today. We're taking a look from chapter 8 all the way through to the end of chapter 11. Um, uh, we're, doing, we're dealing with the seven trumpets. Uh, so you'll need Bibles. Uh, that would be good. Follow through. Uh, but there's two reasons. And the first reason... Uh, that I want to draw out is that this is an, a fire alarm for a burning world. And we see this in chapter 8 and 9, that these trumpets are a fire alarm to a burning world. And as we take a look at chapter 8, uh, verse 6 through to 921, we learn what happens as the first six trumpets are sounded. Now, as you probably uh, noticed during uh, our Bible reading, trumpets 1 to 4 bring disaster onto creation. So cast your eye over the Bible reading, cast your eye over chapter 8, verses 6 through to 12, and we see the, uh, verse 6, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And they don't only prepare to blow them, but the first angel blows his trumpet, verse, uh, verse 7, and we see that hail, fire and blood rain down on a third of the earth. I've, never se I've seen a hailstorm, um, I don't think I've seen a firestorm like that. And I've never seen blood rain down on earth. This is supernatural, isn't it? And then in verse 2, uh, trumpet 2, sorry, verses 8 and 9, uh, we see a mountain being thrown into the sea. This is like an, a disaster movie, isn't it? Armageddon, a, a massive fiery meteorite crashing into the sea. Um, and a third of all the sea is turned to blood. And they kill a third of the, and it kills a third of the sea creatures and it destroys a third of, of the ships. And then the, uh, then the third trumpet is blown, and we see this in uh, verses nine, uh, 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, and it's blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs of water. And then Wormwood, uh, its name is Wormwood, and it causes the water to go bitter, and people die. And then in, with trumpet 4, verse 12... So the fourth angel blows his trumpet and the sun was struck and a third of the moon and uh, a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. 
Well, it certainly felt like that yesterday, that a third of the light had disappeared, but today is bright and shiny. What's going on in this passage? What we see is that in these four trumpet sounds, uh, land, sea, fresh water and sky, devastation has affected a third of the creation. Uh, this is an, an environmental disaster of the very worst kind. Greta would not be happy. And it's true that seven billion people on our planet uh, trying to live their best lives now will leave a footprint. That's true. But what we are reading here is not an environmental issue, it's a spiritual issue. Uh, the disasters come from outside the earth. They originate, originate outside of the human domain. Verse 5 tells us the chaos on earth is caused by actions in heaven. If you take, take a look at verse 5. See, the angel took the censer filled with fire and filled it with fire from the altar, which is before the throne in heaven, <clears throat> threw it on the <clears throat> excuse me, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, uh, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Take a look at verse thirteen. Uh, we see that uh, the, angel, uh, the the eagle flying cries out, "Woe, woe, woe!" to those who dwell on the earth. It is a message of judgment to all those in rebellion against God. That's what dwell on the, those who dwell on the earth, that's who they are. They are not citizens of heaven. They do not follow Jesus. They are living in rebellion. Uh, so the action comes from heaven. It's, it's uh, judgment, God's wrath falling on people who do not believe him. It is a message of judgment to rebellion as they live in God's creation. The, temp uh, the trumpets are fire alarms to a burning world. Now, as I walk around our suburb of Mitchelton, I notice that on fences and gates, there's those little yellow diamonds. Maybe you've got one on your fence or gate. It says, climate action now. Climate action now. Do something about the, the state of the climate. Well, these trumpets are saying, climate action now. Listen to what's going on. See with real eyes the spiritual devastation coming upon the land because it is a sign of God's wrath against those who rebel against him. Creation groans under the effects of sin and rebellion. And as we see natural disasters and as we see discord, we are reminded that we live in a world that is under judgment. Now, there was a book uh, a long time ago, written by John Dixon, you can still get it. If I were God, I'd, uh, uh, if I were God, I would end all pain. You see what Revelation is saying? If that's not what's happening, God is bringing pain because God wants to capture people's attention. He wants them to understand that they are under His wrath for rebellion, and so He's using these means as we look on our world and we see disaster and discord. We need to see it with spiritual eyes. We need to understand that we are in a broken world facing the judgment of God. And so I hint one, don't build your future here. Don't look for your forever home here. Joe and I are at the moment looking at houses to buy in Mitchell too. Thinking about it, <laughs> thinking about it, having a look around. Uh, but that's the, the, words of the, uh, the words of the real estate agents. Get your weekends back. You don't have to waste your time looking at houses all the time. Uh, this could be your forever home. And I look at some of them and I think, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. But this, 
This is what John is saying. This is not our forever home. Uh, We need to understand. Don't build your future here. Now, fun fact, the uh, language of the Bible doesn't make a distinction between an eagle and a vulture. And so in verse 13, where we read that a vulture is crying out with a loud voice, uh, an eagle, you could also picture a vulture, and you could picture a, uh, which is, makes the emblem of the USA, uh, that could be a bit funny, a bald vulture. But it's not funny if you picture verse 13 as vultures circling above a doomed world, crying out a word of a, a pronouncement of judgment, is it? And the reality of that truth is being pressed home with trumpets five and six. You see, the, the first four trumpets affect a third of, the, of creation, the world we live in. But then the next two, trumpets five and six, uh, they affect the people. Now, we're not going to unpack the whole of uh, chapter 9, 1 to 19, but cast your eye over there and you see some in, in chapter 9, 1 to 11... Uh, we see that the fifth angel blows his trumpet and then a star falls to the earth and he is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Here is a spiritual being being given authority uh, to release uh, a bunch of scary-looking apocalyptic locusts. Literally a plague from hell, isn't it? And they come out and uh, they've got uh, the the power of scorpions and they bring torment onto the earth Uh, uh, they bring harm to people verse 6 and in those days people who will they will seek death and not find it they will long to die but death will flee from them Uh, they inflict a torment on people which uh, so bad that people long to die but cannot find it And then in verses 12 to 19, we see that the next plague brought by the next trumpet, scary horses from across the river, uh, armies from across the Euphrates, were, uh, that's the place where warring armies came from in John's day. Uh, and they bring death. They bring death to a third. Um, where does it tell us that? Uh, by the, verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire and smoke and sulphur coming out the mouths of the horses. Uh, We haven't read through that, I'm just conscious of time. Uh, But what we see is that as these six trumpets are blown, uh, the devastation is wreaked upon creation and upon men. Now, things to note about these these last two trumpets, none of the creatures in here were on show at the Echo during the week. Did anyone see grasshoppers like that in the agricultural pavilion or horses with sulphur and fire and things coming out of their nose? Uh, they are not from this world, are they? They are beyond human capacity to address or resist. They depict spiritual forces at work with the authority to unleash torment and death. And again, we're getting a clearer picture of the world we live in. We're peeling back the veneer. Uh, when we lived in, um, in Ballina, our bathroom, uh, our ensuite, I, I noticed when I was under the house, uh, there was a water was spreading uh, on, the, on the floor under the house. I went in the bathroom, everything looked perfect. I went back under the house, nope. I pulled up the tiles, had to replace the whole bathroom. You pull back the, pull back the tire, tiles, you could see the rot. These trumpets are blowing. Uh, God is pulling back the veneer of this world. And he's showing us what's underneath. 
spiritual darkness with all the distress and all the destruction that comes from such darkness is plaguing our world. Take a look at verse 4 because I just want to give you a bit of uh, confidence. Uh, They were told not, not to harm the grass of the earth or the green plant or any tree, but only those people who have not who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Only those who do not follow Jesus. You are safe in Christ. This is spiritual torment, fear of death, lack of hope, blind to the need of forgiveness or the truth of eternal life. Now, sometimes these things are troubling to followers of Jesus. Sometimes I am struck by doubt. Have I given my life to something which is fake do I just stand up and 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 speak nonsense every week I have those doubts is all this true so I'm not saying that these doubts I'm not saying that depression doesn't hit Christians but you are sealed in the name of Jesus by his power according to what he has done for you you are safe no it doesn't matter how you feel you are safe There may well be times where followers of Jesus, where you struggle to find joy and delight. Call on him. You are sealed for him. Your name is written in his book. You are precious. We might be impacted in some way by the spiritual turbulence around us, but we will not fall off Christ's radar. So as you read these things, I want you to have confidence. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are safe in him. We might get caught up in that turbulence. But we will not fall off his radar. And notice too that these these plagues, these grasshoppers and horses with wild-looking riders on them, they kind of remind me of the wraiths out of uh, Lord Lord of the Rings, those scary beasts. Uh, But notice, these are agents of Satan afflicting his people, the people who follow him, knowingly or unknowingly. Eternity with him will not be a pleasure, will not be a joy. Don't buy into that lie. The devil doesn't have all the best music. Hell will not be a big party where all your friends are. And it gives followers of Jesus a more realistic view of this world. I had a mate in Ballina, he is living the life. He is well-loved, very popular. He has a job where he works about four days a week, every weekend off plus a day. Uh, He surfs, he mountain bikes, he takes his family camping. Uh, He has a job where um, he's top of the field uh, and he helps people. And you look on, he's, he's skinny and fit and his wife's skinny and fit and his daughters are beautiful, like the whole picture. And I fall into the trap of thinking, what has the gospel got to say to him? It's almost like I've got nothing to offer. The gospel's got nothing to offer him, but the gospel has got everything to offer him because his future is bound up in this world and this world is, is deteriorating. This world is under siege. The trumpets are blowing. The veneer has been lifted. People need salvation. Don't be fooled by the veneer of this world. And I also need to see the mercy of God. Because as we read through here in all these things, a third of the world, a third of the world, a third of the world, a third of mankind, a third of mankind, God is practicing mercy, bringing mercy. He does not destroy the whole thing. And for the two-thirds who have remained unaffected, 
look on, understand. But sadly, many do not hear the trumpet call to repent. Take a look at 9, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. People do not repent. But what we're seeing is that God is warning people and people often say, oh, well, you know, I'm a good person. God's not going to judge me when I die. It'll all work out in the end. It won't work out in the end unless you're a follower of Jesus. Unless you pay attention to the call to repent. It will not just work out in the end. But the world is blind to their need of salvation. The fire alarm is ringing. But they are sound asleep. They do not hear it. Who will rouse them from their sleep? I'm glad you asked. It's us. We're the church. That's the second reason I think uh, the trumpets are sounding throughout, this, uh, throughout these passages because in chapter 10 and 11, we see it's, it's to warn a weary world. God is using trumpets to wake us up. Um, I was going to say to wake up a sleeping church. I don't know if we're completely sleeping. Uh, but it... It, my brother's in his car, if you're driving along the street and you kind of veer off over the white line, it beeps at you and gets you back in your lane. There might be a warning like that. Church, just concentrate. Be in your lane. And what's our lane? What are we, on, what are we supposed to be on about? What's MPC supposed to be on about? Growing followers of Jesus, isn't it? Growing as followers, but growing new followers. Reaching out to a lost world, being a shining light in a dark suburb. And here we have chapter 10 and 11. Uh, and notice, I want you to notice, the sixth trumpet has blown. The seventh trumpet has not yet blown. We're going to see that at the end of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 15. But in the middle, there's an intermission between the two, a period of grace between the, the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet will be the end. That'll be judgment day. That's the end of this world. So there's a period of grace. There's an intermission of grace. Joe and I went to a play. We've been to a number of plays. Joe's trying to educate me in the finer things of life. We went to one play in Sydney. It was so boring and long and we didn't know where it was and it didn't seem to finish very well and then everyone went out and we were walking off and we were kind of scratching our heads going, oh, well, that was interesting, long, boring. And then as we walked down the pier, because we looked back, no one else was walking behind us. Looking around. And they're all still standing back in the in the area just outside the door having drinks and chatting. Oh, no, it's intermission. <laughs> oh, we have to go back. You don't walk out at intermission. That's what we learn. That's what I want to say here, too. We're in intermission of grace. There, here is between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet is an intermission of grace. And during intermission, we need to be into mission. Do you like that? During intermission, we need to be into mission. Am I just being clever with words, or is that what this actually says? Take a look at chapter 10. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, we see uh, there is another mighty angel 
He's coming down from heaven. He is certainly a messenger of heaven. He bears the likeness of Jesus described back in chapter 1. He is a messenger from heaven. He's got a foot on the land and a foot in the sea. He reaches up to heaven and he brings a heavenly message down to John. He swears by him, verse 6, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in, uh, what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, uh, that there would be no more delay. So he's, he's bringing a message. He's bringing a message of grace and salvation and he's giving it to John. He holds a little scroll. Uh, verse 8, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it, eat it. Uh, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll and he ate it. It was sweet as honey, but it made his stomach bitter. And verse 11, I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. John has been given a message. This message is sweet to taste, but bitter in his stomach. It's a sweet message. It's a gospel. The gospel, the message which is so sweet to our ears, such good news to us, brings such hope and comfort that Christ has died in our place, that he's paid the cost of our sin, that he's taken away the wrath of God toward us that we are now declared to be God's children, his people, that we have eternity with him in heaven. That is sweet news, isn't it? Good news. But it is also bitter news because as we speak that news to the world, they run around with their fingers in their ears. And when we travelled as kids, we'd be on family holidays, someone would get car sick. Uh, there were six of us. We would pile out, Dad included, everyone piling out of the car. Mum left with the sick one. Uh, the rest of us jamming. I'd jam my fingers in my ears and go, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear people vomiting. But it seems to me that that's what the world's reaction to the gospel is, isn't it? They stick their fingers in their ears and they make noises so they won't hear. We have a, a sweet message, but which is, has bitterness as well. And the impact of that we see in, in chapter 11. Uh, that verse 1, in, in chapter 11 verse 1, I was given a, me a, measuring, a measuring rod like a staff and I was told to go and measure the temple of God. Now he's measuring the, the church. This is, we are the temple of God. This is where God dwells now. We are his temple. We read that through the New Testament. Uh, uh, Ephesians is good for that. Uh, so he's talking about the church we are measured by God measurement being measured by God means we are safe in his keeping he knows who we are uh, he is he's going to keep us safe and it's good news to know that because um, and then he says I will verse 3 I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth now what he's just said there in verse 3 has caused pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of commentary by scholars throughout the ages. There's so many theories on that. And um, I don't pretend to be an expert on this like those guys, but this is what I understand. 1,260 1, days is actually 42 months, and 42 months is, um, is mentioned in verse 2. It's also times time and half a time, three and a half years. So if you, that is the period of the church. 
So that's how John refers to the period of the church between Jesus heading up to heaven and Jesus coming back. It's referred to as 42. If you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer of life, the answer to the meaning of life, 42. <laughs> kind of fits. So the, the period of the church, 42 weeks, 1,260 days, times time and half a time, three and a half years. And what we notice is that the ministry of the church reflects the ministry of Christ because he came with the authority of heaven and this is what the church has. Uh, we are two, uh, so two witnesses, lots of, lots of theories on that too, but let me say that in Zechariah where we read about the lampstand and the olive tree, first up in the Bible, so this is just a reference back to that. It's talking about Zerubbabel and it's talking about uh, who is uh, royalty and it's talking about Joshua who is a priest. So here is royalty and, and priesthood. And, and then when we get to the New Testament, we find 1 Peter 2.9, we are a royal priesthood. The church is a royal priesthood. We are the two witnesses. The church is the two witnesses. And we are the lampstands. It's, we already know that that's a symbol of the church. And uh, we are powered by the oil of the tree. We are, the, we are God's witnesses on earth. Okay, so they're the two witnesses, us. And we have been given authority... Uh, so verse, verse 4, uh, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth and if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes and if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of the, that they are prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And... Um, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Are you looking for the power? Are you wondering where all this power is? I, as you read that and reflect on those things, and again, I'm just conscious of time, but this is, it means that we fit into God's whole plan of salvation, that we are the continuing people of God. If you, if you take a look back in the Old Testament, you, Moses and Elijah, they were doing amazing signs, weren't they? And Elijah called down fire on, the, the, um, on his sacrifice in, in the face of the prophets of Baal. He stopped rain. It, the church is just in, that, in the continuing history and plan of God's salvation for his people. We fall into that history. We are safe in that history. It doesn't mean we can walk around zapping our enemies like that. In fact, what we see as we keep reading uh, is that verse 7 uh, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises up from the bottomless pit, we're going to meet him a bit later, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that, symbolized, uh, that symbolically is called Sodom, disobedience, and Egypt, idolatry, where their Lord was crucified. Uh, for three and a half days, some of the people in the tribes and languages will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who, verse 10, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice. Verse 11, but after three and a half days, of a breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet and great fear on those who saw them. And uh, then they heard a loud voice from heaven, come up to me. You get the picture. We go and we are with, with God. So our ministry on earth, uh, we are the continuing plan of God's salvation for all the earth. We declare his praises. We've got authority to declare his word to, a, to a, a burning world. He will watch over us. 
there is an element where the church looks weak. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, as you look around our congregation, lovely congregation, but really, if, you were going, if your plan was to overtake the world, would you choose us? Like, would you, would you do it like this? Would you have this goober standing up the front? I wouldn't. Uh, there is a sense where uh, we are, uh, the message of the gospel is, is weakness and folly to the world. And that, that, that's what's pictured here. But it's the way of salvation. There's a plan of salvation that God has for the world. We are a witnessing body. If you read church history, you notice that the church is really bad at ruling. Whenever we had power, we abuse it. We're not supposed to be a ruling body. We're not looking for a Christian nation here on earth. We are a witnessing body. We tell people about Jesus, the true king. Our role is to declare the glory of God and the good news of Jesus in the world. I need to come back to my notes. <clears throat> um, someone asked me. Oh, sorry. So we will look weak. We will look suffering. We take a look at verse 13. And at that hour, there will be a great earthquake. Oh, sorry. Then verse 12. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and the enemies watched them. And at, the hour, and, and at that hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So this is what happens at the end of this, inter, uh, this intermission of grace that God is revealed, his people are rescued, and that those uh, that uh, 7,000 people are killed in an earthquake. Doesn't sound like many when you're thinking about the whole population of the world, but I looked up, 9-11, uh, just under 3,000 people died on that day, but that's a day that changed the world. Here we have 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The rest were terrified. They gave glory to God in heaven. They're not, they're not recognizing him as the king, but they're falling before him, terrified, knowing that he is the, the ruler of all. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The full-time siren is gone. The ref will blow his whistle. The game will end. One side will grudgingly admit defeat. The other go away to glory. And that's us. The seventh trumpet, verse 15, blew... Loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their, uh, sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and was. Notice that they don't say in who, is, who is to come. He has come, he is here, he is with his people. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, the time for the dead will be and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. They are singing the team song. When Cronulla win at Shark Park, the whole, the whole stadium, 11,000 people go up, up, up Cronulla and they sing the team song and it's fantastic to be caught up in that. Imagine the day on the last day then when we're singing the team song of heaven. Glory, glory, glory to God. It'll be great, won't it? 
And we'll look back on this life and we'll think, was it worth it? Was it worth it? And did I invest well? Did I spend my time calling people to understand who Jesus is and to come to salvation in him and join me in that heavenly song? I think God uses a... I think God uses a trumpet and not an alarm clock because you can't ignore a trumpet. It doesn't have a snooze button. I don't understand snooze button on alarm. I I don't use alarms. I just wake up. But I'm abnormal, apparently. Other people use snooze button once, twice, three times. Uh, There's no snooze button on on a trumpet. This is a call to action. If we're to be a faithful church then we don't change the message of the gospel. We declare it to a, a, to a lost and, and, and failing world. And we don't get sucked in to what this world is offering because we know we've, we've seen behind the veneer. And so we persevere in our faith in Jesus and we persevere in seeking to bring others, the lost, into relationship with him. And we pray fervently that God would use us to his glory. Amen. Amen.